0: Okay, so we're going to begin Megillas Esther, third perech, a third chapter of the Megillah, and uh, let's begin. Now, so the Megillah says that this, after these things, after which things, so after a number of things, right, it's actually a few years later, as we're about to see, but we've now had the hiktim refuel Mako, we've now had the fact that the cure has been put into place, Esther's in position, Mordechai's in position, and so now, Gidele Melech is just Haman ben Hamadossah Agagi. Now, that is a very, very loaded phrase, okay? So, the, the king is now going to elevate Haman. Who's Haman? Son of Hamadossah. Who is he, Agagi? Now, we're jumping back generations and generations straight to Agag, uh, the king of Amalek, who is not killed by Shol. And therefore, we've immediately linked the issue back to that historical occurrence, just like we linked Mordechai back to Kish, back to Shol, so that the Megillah is emphasizing the threads. And I've made this point before, and we're going to actually touch upon it now, that the Megillah is going to consistently hint us back to a number of critical issues. There's a thread that runs through Gan Eden, the Nohosh, the snake in, in the Garden of Eden, all the way through the, com, the confrontation between Esau and Yaakov, the battle over which one will become Esau, become Israel all the way through the battles, the various battles against Amalek in every generation, with Moshe against Amalek, and Yeshua against Amalek, with Shaul against Amalek, running all the way through till now. And it's thematically linking. By the way, even the word homon, right? We don't know, he's not been introduced at this stage. Till now, we've had the name of Muhan. And the Gemara actually in Kufla in, uh, Amates of Khulin, the Gemara actually asked the question, Haman Amazing question. Where's Homon found in the Torah? And you think, what a crazy Gemara. Why should Haman be found in the Torah? Haman <laughs> doesn't belong in the Torah. The Torah is uh, you know, he's written centuries and centuries and centuries before Haman. And the Gemara answers, Is it from the tree I told you not to eat that you ate? What's that referring to? Back in the Garden of Eden. Literally back in Gan Eden. Now what's the meaning? What's the question? What's the answer? And by the way, the Gemara does the same thing with Esther. The same thing with Mordechai and the same thing with Moshe. <laughs> it's the funniest question of the Gemara, like, Moshe, nine, where do you find Moshe in the Torah? <laughs> but the Gemara is asking, obviously, what's the root of them all? Where's the root of an evil like Hormon? Where's it come from? It must be rooted somewhere. And an evil of that level of intensity is going to go back to Gan Eden. Where does Esther, the hidden person who saves us, come from? Where does the root of all this? Even Moshe Rabbeinu, where's his real root? Because it's got to be deeper than just he was born in Mitzrayim. So we're looking for the roots of these people. And Haman we find in the very moment after the Chait, after the sin, when Hashem appears in the, in the Gan Leruach HaYom, the spirit of the day, and he says, "Ayaka, where are you? Which later becomes the word Eicha. And Adam, instead of saying, I've done terrible sins, he says, I'm afraid, I hid. And now in a world where Adam does not want to face reality, he wants to live in his illusion and his disconnect from reality. In that world, Hashem responds as if Hashem himself is confused. Haminheit, is it from the tree? And this is the world of doubt, the world now where Hashem says, look, I'll play along with you. You want to live in a world disconnected from reality? I'll be lost in that world. I, you know, I'm also confused. And that moment where man's confusion is so deep, a man is so hiding from truth, from God, from reality, in his bubbles of fantasy, of, of, of delusion, of societal delusions, you know, where anything can become its opposite— you take you know, people defending themselves, they're committing a genocide. You take everything just becomes its craziness. You can change anything you want into anything else, right? It doesn't matter what, what definitions we've used for something for centuries, just flip it all around. In that world of total illusion and total delusion, in that world where where man is so confused that it seems that God is confused, that's the world that Haman is born in. That's Hamina Eitz Vesicha, That's the Pasuk, that's the source of Haman in the Torah. So Haman is rooted in the Garden of Eden. That's what the Gemara says, in the moment of confusion. By the way, I've already pointed this out in previous Shirim. That's exactly why the, um, the, the, the whole issue, the whole opening party was also in the Garden of Eden, at least hinted at it. Bechatze Ginas Bi in the courtyard of the garden of the house of the king. That's. The king is, of course, Hashem, and the garden is the garden of Eden. And later on, this is going to roll out in many different ways as well. But right now, we've located Haman. The Gemara's located Haman. The source of the energy of the negative dark power of Haman is in the moment man is so confused that it looks like God is confused or it looks like God is not interacting clearly in the world. And that's going to become critical as we go through. Okay, any questions on this? Okay, so let's go further. And and now, why was the king being Magadal- So we have different things in Chazal, but one is that he's just put Mordechai in the book of uh, Chronicles, in the Sefer Divrayamim, yamim and he knows what Mordechai is about. Mordechai has been lobbying for the building of the Beis HaMikdash, and HaShveresh all the way through has this conscious or subconscious fear of the Beis HaMikdash. It will come to the fore again when he confronts Esther later, ad till up till half the kingship, but he can't have the Beis HaMikdash, he knows, so what has he got to do to build an antidote? He's got to promote his enemy, right? We said, to please everybody, please harmon, please Mordechai. He says, you know what? My antidote to promoting the kind of pro-Jewish, pro-rebuilding Jerusalem lobby is to promote the anti-guy. And that's what he's doing. But listen to the language as well. So here we have the words that he raises him. Gidlam and HaShoresh First he raises him. Ben the Agagi, he knows who he is. And then he elevates him again. And then he promotes him a third time. He puts him above all the officers who are with him. And all the servants of the king who are in the gate of the king are all bowing down to Haman. Because that's the commandment the king's given. Right, some aforementioned point out, the king only told him, they didn't tell everyone else, but either way, Mordechai will not bow down. We've already said earlier, and we're going to see it in the next few psukim, that he's a Yehudi, a Jew, and a Yehudi, the definition of a Jew in Tanakh, the word Yehudi means somebody who won't do a void Okay, so from here, the Gemara has the story, Haman was, was carrying an idol, either way. So we've now got these two in a real confrontation going on. By the way, uh, there is an Alshich, I think, who says that um, the king commanded that everyone should bow down to Haman, but also part of the command that the Mordechai shouldn't bow down. And as he set them up to fight each other. Okay, most most Mavarashim don't learn that way. But either way. So now the servants of the king who are at the gate, they say to the (laughs) Mordechai, what are you doing? Now that phrase... And it was as they said this to him day after day, and he didn't listen to them. Do you know where else that phrase appears in Tanakh? Gone. Okay, your your volume's down, I think. Unless my yes. Yeah, gone. Yeah, it's I can hear you. you know. Yosef, exactly. <laughs> yes. That's right, that's right, right? That's exactly that. What happens is um, here in Vayeshev, in Paj Vayeshev. She, it's why he Kadab and you know Kadab brought Yosef. Yom Yom v'lo shamaileha, right? Potiphar's wife is trying to seduce Yosef, and she speaks to him every day, and the same response v'lo shamaileh. And in fact, the Gemara in Yuma uh, says the following: It says every day she would try, she should try and persuade him with words. Amraleh, she said, "I'm going to put you based a sermon. I'm going to put you in prison if you, if if you don't uh, do that vera." He says, God is in charge of the world, not you. He can free people from prison, right? Oh, I'm going to knock you over. Hashem's like a coup of him, everything, right? So she's trying every single thing and he's resisting because he believes because of his Emun and Hashem. And exactly the same thing happens here. Now, why is the text linking this to Yosef? For an obvious reason Yosef is the one who can defeat Asaf right? That's the psukim in Avadja. That's this quote at the end of Rashi brings at the end of Pashto V'ishlach. Only when Yosef was born, about the end of Pashto V'etze, only when Yosef was born did Yaakov feel the confidence to go and confront Esav. Because Yosef can operate in this world just like Esav can. And that's why Esav is like the straw and Yaakov is, is the flame, but Yosef is the spark that can burn the threat of Esav away. So there's a link here between what Mordechai's resistance to, to the, idol- the pressures of idolatry of, of Homon and Joeser's original resistance to the pressures of the base poetiva. Of course, there's going to be more links between the two. They're both going to be people who become the deputy of the king. They're both going to be led out. They're going to have the ring given to them. There's going to be many, many more links. And of course, they're both part of the family of Rachel Himenu. There's always the family who's confronting um Aesov, uh, and and so on. So they see, but but this is so powerful what the Megillah does with these little drops. It like, kind of puts the story now into thousands of years of context. Okay, now. Um, so this is what's happening. See won't bow down and it was told to Homan Mordechai that will Mordechai's words stand up over he Because he told him he's a Jew, he told him it's his religion. He this is the essence of a Yehudi, will not bow down. And the essence of Haman is, I'm going to get him to bow down. So now, Vayar Haman, and Haman himself came over now. Is, I think a medrashat says that he came over personally to see. Now, by the way, it doesn't phrase anything about Mordechai in the past tense. It's all in the present. This is Mordechai. He does not bow down. He's full of fury. It's it's low in his eyes. It's like... um. It's despicable or contemptible in his eyes to just kill Mordechai. That's like a personal thing. This has to be something much bigger than that. And of course, Excellent. Yeah, you're on the board 100%. Exactly. This is exactly what Esau always does to anything that Yaakov values. It's It's Vayivez. It's a despising of it. That's exactly the point. So I despise Mordechai. I despise just killing Mordechai. This has to be attacking the, the entire essence of who Mordechai is. If he's Yehudi, we have to get every Yehudi, right? And just like as the Bechoyra, Esau despises the very eternity that Israel is looking for. That's exactly the middle of the speaker. You see 100% right. You see how all these themes are being brought back into here and in just in this very quick set of interaction, 100%. So this is what Chazal draw out from it. So... um he was made of the Shlach Mordechai. He's not going to send his hand against Mordechai Levadoi alone. They told him who he was. He wants to get rid of the whole lot. All the Jews, all the people in Mordechai. First month, that's Nisan, right? 12th year. So we now realize how far this is now nine years since the first chapter and so on. He threw lots. Now, of course, we know that the Yom is going to be called Purim because of these lots, but of course that just raises the question, so what? Right, what's the significance of lots? But the lots are obviously ideological because Amalek in the Torah is Asher Karcha who happen upon you along the way. For Amalek, the key is that everything is meaningless. So the most significant date of your existence to you, Yisrael, who believe everything is meaningful and everything is about Hashem Echad, so uh, the oneness of God, the significance of every moment. Therefore, I will pick, says Haman, the most, the way to kill you in the most insulting way, the most meaningless possible way. And he throws the lots. First, he picks the day, right? and It ends up being the month and it ends up being the, uh, the month of Adar. So now... Of course, that's the furthest month from where he is now. But the Gemara says he was very rejoiced; he was full of joy because that's the month of Moshe Rabbeinu died. Big, and the Gemara says he little. Did he understand? Moshe was also born there. What's that got to do with anything? Why why is it so important that's the month of Moshe Rabbeinu died? Because what I told you earlier, when the Gemara in Chulin wants to pick the four key characters of the story, it says where's Haman in the Torah. Haman is born in the moment of doubt and Gan Eden, the moment of confusion. Whereas Esther, when God hides His face. Whereas Mordechai, Mordechai is the Aramaic translation of the Besamim of the, the spices of the closeness of relationship between us and Hakadosh Baruch Hu. And Moshe and Atiru, and Where's Moshe the Torah. Where's Moshe? Moshe all over the Torah. B'shagam hu b'asar. Right is that uh, when Hashem says, you know, He's not gonna, He's going to forgive the people because He's also. Flesh. So that's, that's Moshe. Gematria Moshe. Moshe amazing Gemara. What it means is that Moshe is the higher soul that also comes into flesh, right? And that's the essence of what Moshe Rabbeinu is. But why do we make that one of the four? Because Moshe is a key part of the Purim story. Because Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who first fought Amalek. And how did he fight Amalek? He sent Yeshua into battle because Yeshua is actually from Rachel, right? From, uh, he's actually from, um, from Bnei Yosef, he's actually from those tribes that are allowed to fight Amalek. He goes up the mountain and Moshe puts his hands up and when his hands are strong upwards, Yisrael beat Amalek. When his hands go down, Yisrael lose to Amalek. What's the real deep meaning of that story? If we listen carefully to that story in Parashas B'Shalach, what we hear, well, you know what? Let's actually maybe, yeah, may let's touch upon it now. What's going on in that story is that uh, just moments, literally the Pasuk before the Amalek attacks. Before Vayava Amalek, the Pasuk before says that they came to this place, Massa Mariva, where they tested Hashem. They said, Is God here or not? Craziest question of the Torah, right? <laughs> here you've got a people that have just come through Kriyasi so They've just seen the sea splitting. <speaking in Hebrew> the least spiritual member of Klan Yisrael could see more than... All the visions of Yehezkel about the Maïsa Marikova, the inner workings of heavens. And yet they ask just a few weeks later, is Hashem here or not? Was or this crazy? Or what's, what's this uh, insanity? Like. He? And then Vayava Malek comes. And the Madrish makes the link. You doubt me, says God, I'll doubt you. And Malik is gematrio-sophic, right? It's all about doubt. It's the same numerical weight as the word for doubt. So what is going on? And the Zaya points out, and really the answer is um. I think it's. It might be the Nitzim who says it. I forget who says it. That they never doubt whether God exists. That's not that question. They don't say, "I Hashem." In mind, does God exist or not? They say, "I Hashem imai." Is God within us or not? In other words. I get there's a creator of the universe, the universe didn't make itself, but would that creator, and I get that creator of the universe might come in because of a promise to our ancestors or because it's the God of justice and it sees oppression and it comes in like a police force and fights Mitzrayim. But why should it care about us wandering around in the Midbar? And maybe it's not going to feed us and give us water, right? In other words, listen to the depth here. They weren't doubting God per se they were doubting whether God cares about them. And at that moment, when you doubt whether God cares about you, you, when you doubt effectively whether you are valuable to God, that's the moment Amalek enters the world. Because what is um, exactly like in the Garden of Eden, when you're no longer feeling attached to God, that's when Amalek enters the world. When you now realize there's a God out there, but I can hide from him, or you realize there's a God out there, but he doesn't really care about what we do, that's when harmonic attacks. And what's the antidote? The hands go up or the hands go down. And the Mishnah says in, in Rosh Hashanah, what hands win wars or lose wars. What's going on? Like the grand old Duke of York, when the hands are up, they're up. When the hands are down, they're down. You know, like, well, what do you know? What's going on? And the answer is that, says a cover. He says, no, the hands are your actions. When they're up, it means, I know that my actions are, and therefore I commit them to Shomayim. And that's the sense of, of the, wakens the people up to be meshabdim aslibam to commit their hearts to Akadosh Baruch And that's when they completely defeat HaMolek. When I said the answer is Hashem trusts me and uh, my actions, and suddenly I realize the that emuna that Akadosh Baruch has in me, that's it, emuna, his hands are faithful. Whereas when the hands go down and we say, Ah, what difference do our actions make? suddenly Amalek is there. So Amalek is the power of self-doubt. Consciously, Amalek may doubt God, but subconsciously, Amalek doubts man. And that is a very deep point. And so Moshe Rabbeinu was the one who showed us, even though he's flesh, still look at the heights you can reach, where even in flesh, your actions can make all the difference to the creator of the universe. Hashem is here right with you. as we say every morning in Moida'ani. Rabah emunasecha, how much faith do you have in us? Like we say, we talk about Hashem's chesed in the good times. Not our faith in you, Hashem, but your faith in us in the dark times. This is it. So now we see why Moshe is part of the story and why Harmon was so excited to pick the month of the death of Moshe Rabbeinu because it's the month of the death of the person who could show us that even though your flesh, you could be connected to Hashem. But he's gone. And as Moshe Rabbeinu dies because ultimately Kilal Israel failed Hashem. Ultimately, the Jewish people failed. So see, in the end, says Harmon, even Moshe Rabbeinu can't succeed. Even Moshe Rabbeinu cannot show us how we fail beings of protoplasmic flesh and genetic material can honestly be homes of, of God in this world. We can't do that. So the month he dies, that's the perfect month for the end of the Giftralisar. So these are very deep and profound issues. Okay. Any questions on any of this? Yeah, Gan. you muted, Thing. Yeah, yeah, it's a good question. It, uh, it turns out that uh, that the day, the day is the furthest possible day that he could have picked because it's thirty days from his original, and the month is the furthest possible month. But uh, but he's happy with the month at least. That's the thing. But yeah, it's an interesting question. Why why the Ashkocha wasn't daft on the on the day itself since it's also the you know. But yeah, you're mute. <laughs> It doesn't, I know that's the great irony. How can you believe in meaninglessness? But I think that's, the, the, you could say that's the whole point. He's saying, look, I believe in complete meaninglessness, but you who are going to think it's important are going to see that th- this is going to demoralize you completely. And uh, by the way, yes, it's true he doesn't believe in Ashgachal, but he has some kind of strange belief in fate. You see, there's an irony to anyone who believes in what a believes in, because you cannot ignore the order of the universe. So there have to be some forces that pull something somewhere, right? And we'll see later on, this will become very central because Zeresh will say to him, if you've begun to fall to the Jews, that you have no chance That they're almost like superstitious sense of things. So there is something that they do attach to in 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 place of Ashkocha. We'll actually see that subconsciously in this, in this chapter already, there's a little bit of a sense of Ashkocha too, which we'll come to. It's not as neat and clear cut. Consciously, they believe in nothing, but beneath the surface, there is something they're always connecting themselves to. Okay, and by the way, the very you see this, is the irony, when you don't, when you don't really believe in a, in a historical plan, then you're always superimposing little mini plans. When you believe in a historical plan, you never impose anything and you never know where you're up to in the story. We'll see that later on as well. Harmon will be convinced he knows exactly where the story's up to and Mordechai won't be. Dafka, because Mordechai trusts Hashem's building the big story, I never know where I'm up to in the story. Whereas Harmon's always trying to work it out. Okay, so the next thing that happens like this, now, um, he sees the sorry, he says, he wants to kill him. He throws the lots, and now Haman says to King, There is a people who are scattered. This is like classical anti Semitic language, they're scattered in amongst everyone, and all the provinces of your king. These are the strange people. They have different laws, different religions. They're not loyal. They're disloyal, fifth column people. That's who they are. And there's no benefit to keeping them. Now, Rav says in the Gemara, in Megillah, in Daphia, Gemara, Gemara says, there's nobody in you know have to speak Lashon Hara like Haman. And listen to what he does with these words. He says, there's interesting words, Yeshnai, what a strange, you know, just say Yeshamecham. Says, says the Gemara that what did Haman mean? Yeshna is a hint at the word Yashain, asleep. You see, Haman walks into Ahasuerus and Ahasuerus understands exactly who Haman is. That's why he promoted him. He's the arch anti-Semite. This is the guy who's been waiting to kill the Jews for however long. And he walks in to knock on the king's door as he's, you know, now he's become this third promotion of this very senior fellow. And Ahasuerus understands, you're coming to me with a final solution plan. I know what you're doing, but there's a problem. Everybody who's tried it before, it's not ended well. Their empire collapses, the Jews survive. It just, anti-Semitism is not a good national imperial policy. Look at what happened to Paro in Egypt, right? It doesn't work. And Hamon responds, they're Yishenim in They're asleep from the mitzvahs. Now, if you pause on that Gemara, that sounds like a, that sounds like a very religious right? You have the premises, you have to undergo there. You have to believe there's a creator of the universe, right? You have to believe that the Torah is true, and you have to believe that your actions matter, according to the Sefer Karim of R' That's basically all the fundamentals of Jewish belief. So, he has well, this doesn't sound like a monarch is doubt gematria sophic and like the snake in the Garden of Eden. But was well, all this? This is not doubt. And then carries on, but there's the rabbis, there's all the from Jews, they're all doing holy things. There's the rabbis. That do, ah, they're they don't get judged like that. They get judged together. Hashem's not interested if a little bit, a few Jews here and there doing good. Well, how's the people doing? And are they, they're, they're being, there's there's also Aravos, right? The Gemara and Soter, they have responsibility for each other. Are they taking responsibility? Or they're just looking after their own little schools and yeshivas and whatever. Like, If they are, then Hashem's going to punish them all. This is very from, Homan's now like a Kirov rabbi as well. You know, he's like, uh, he cares about the Holy Cloud. He said, oh, what's, what's going on in that Gemara? But this is the principle. Everything that is revealed in the Pshut micro Mikra on the simple level is the conscious layer. The Drush is bringing out the subtleties that exist on the subconscious layer. Consciously, Amalek is, doubts everything. But subconsciously, Amalek does not doubt God. Amalek doubts man. This is the aside. This is the principle everywhere. Exactly as we saw in Pasha Bashalach. What Hauman is saying is this cannot work. It, again, he didn't speak Lashen HaKoyish. They didn't speak in Hebrew. They spoke in Aramaic, So All these double plays are not there. But the, the Megillah is recording it in double plays so that you can understand the process. On the conscious level, Amalek doubts everything. But on the subconscious level, Amalek doesn't doubt the creator. The root of Amalek's doubt is a doubt in the capability of the human being to live a life that can house God in it. Right? And that's an amazing thing. Now that, by the way, tells you something very profound about the subconscious nature of doubt. When someone doubts God, do they really believe the universe created itself? So they'll say, well... I think, I don't know, maybe I'm not sure, maybe it's something, to, but maybe I can believe in some kind of first cause. but that God would care personally about what we do, why should he? Now you think, philosophically, what are you talking about? If something bothers to create the universe, why wouldn't it care about the only bit of the universe that can be conscious enough to relate to it, as far as we know? Why wouldn't it? So what's really going on is this, I'm not worthy of being cared about or loved by the creator of the universe. Therefore, there cannot be a creator of the universe who cares and loves all its creations. Therefore, there's no God. It's a subconscious psychological process rooted in self-doubt that leads a person to the philosophical perspective of philosophical doubt. Even to then say absurd things like the universe created itself. But that's what's going on at its root. That's the Gemara's showing you exactly as happens in Parshas Pashalach. The first time we encounter Amalek, is God within me or not? Not does God exist. And that's why at the end of the battle, it says over there, right, that, uh, that, um, that Hashem tells Moshe Rabbeinu that what have you got to write? You got to write it. It's got to be written as a memorial, right? So we say, what do we say? Let me just find the pasuk over here. That, um Sorry. Right, literally right at the very end, the of the Shalach. <laughs> write this as a memorial in the book, and from which we're going to, eventually, the Gemara learns that you can even have multiple memories of Amalek, including the story of Purim. Put in the ears of I'm going to wipe out all the values and ideology of Amalek, from under the heaven, right? And the very last passage of a Yomai says, There is a hand against the throne of God. Milchom malik in every generation. And Malik's desire to kill the Jewish people is ultimately a war against God, right? But what is this war against God? Yod al-Keska, against the throne. The hand is fighting against the throne. That means the settling of God's presence. But notice it's against the first two letters of God's name. In other words, he's not really fighting the first two letters. I accept there's Yod and He, which rep- the first two letters represent kind of, if you like, God in heaven. The last two letters of God's name represent God down on earth. Hamalik says, I can accept a creator up there. And Aristotelian first calls, I cannot accept God in intimate relationship with man. And that's the pasuk, Yismichu HaShemayim V'sagel Haaretz. In heavens they'll rejoice, and on earth they'll celebrate. The the initials are Hashem's name, Yud, and He, and Vavane. Hamalik has no problem with Yismichu HaShemayim. Let the heavens rejoice. It's down here we can't have God's presence. And that's what's going on. So this is an, and that's exactly what happens in Gan Eden when man is all confused and man now doesn't believe that man believes that maybe God doesn't really intervene anymore in man and now maybe God is questioning even being involved in the world that's exactly where man enters in that confused state where man is so so busy hiding in his own fears and own delusions and an own lack of self-worth and own lack of reality. And that's exactly where man doubts the value of man and the meaning of our actions. That's exactly where Ammonic enters. And from that rot comes the ultimate total destruction. And from there, that hatred of God's presence in the world comes a hatred of the people who stand for the ability to bring God's presence into the world. The war against God becomes the war to destroy Jews in every generation. Of course, it becomes the war to demonize Jews because you have to say these people who claim humans can be homes of God must be moral failures. And that's why anti-Semitism is never Jew hatred. It's always Jew demonization. Right? but ultimately it's expressing the idea that people who claim you can live godly are wrong, they're failures, look at them, they've failed, they've failed their covenant, they've failed this, they've failed that, look at them, they're being evil, look at them, they're being this, look at them, that, That. that's how it always is, and now let's go and wipe them out, so now let's go and kill them, or now let's ban them from defending themselves so that somebody else can kill them, that's the process. Now, let's just move a little bit towards the end of the chapter. So. It's not even even fitting to keep them. If it's good for the king, you should write a law to destroy them. Oh, Oh, you think there's going to be economic collapse if you get rid of the Jews? I've worked out how to refinance the empire so that I can compensate. With those who do the work, you will see. I will compensate for all their businesses and whatever else they have. We'll take them over. We'll run the the economy without them. The king takes the ring off his finger. Notice what the king doesn't do. The king does not say yes. And the king does not say no. He he doesn't want to say yes. He He doesn't want on his hand the official signature of genocide. He's not, he cares about his reputation. What happens if it goes wrong? So he's like, uh, I, I'm, you know, he does the ultimate. I'm not getting involved in this process. I take the ring off. I don't know what's going on over here. Plausible deniability. And we will see, he will try to use that later on with Esther. He'll try to say, I've never heard about this. What is this? You know, this is preposterous. This is crazy. I never, right? he'll do this. He takes the ring off. And of course, The hint of the word Hamelech over here, the Gemara says there was more tshuva, this was more powerful for Christel than all 48 Nevi'im and seven Nevi'as, all the prophets and prophetesses. This moment of handing the ring is basically saying the world is now a controlled experiment and the world being handed over to pure evil. What happens if pure evil has its reigns on the hands of history where no one can get in their way? And of course, the real hint that Hashem's involved is when it uses the word Hamelech the king, not king ha here it didn't say King Achashverosh handed the ring. As if God Himself is acquiescing and saying, Yes, let's give history to pure evil. This is the experiment in what happens if pure evil is going to run the world unimpeded. That's how catastrophic it is. And this is what's going on with it. And he says, the case of yeah, this is, sorry, who does he give it to? Lachamon? Ben Hamadas, son of Hamadas, the agagite. And in case we don't what the king knew he was doing, <laughs> he knew exactly who he's handing this over to, the ultimate Nazi. But Melech he says, Loch. Then the Gemara says, it's like a person who wants to get rid of a pile of mud and the other's got a hole. Achatresh doesn't like these Jews that much either. He just won't directly instruct them being killed. But remember, he's always been paranoid about them rebuilding the base of Mikdosh. He wants his life a wild and party and free. So he's not going to be the actual arch villain who comes to kill us. But he doesn't mind if somebody else kills Jews. You know, maybe we should have a ceasefire and just stop the, the self defense of the Jewish people. Uh, somebody else, okay? That's this kind of We just like a world that's easy. And these Jews are agitators. The money's given to you. Do whatever's good in your eyes to them. So they go out. Uh, on the, the 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 scribes of the king on the thirteenth day all the instructions are given to the governors to everybody al Medinas Al to all the provinces and all the uh, officers everyone in their own script, every nation in its own language signed sealed the king. They're sent out in the hands of the runners, Al Kol Medina Samar to all the provinces. The messages, la Laharigul Abid, to destroy, kill, massacre. All of them. Man, woman, and children. There's no nothing left to imagination here. And also, just to make sure we'll get the maximum crowds out there on the day, even the non-anti-Semites join, plunder all their spoils. Tashaganaksah there's a copy Linus in Das Buchom Medina Madina Golala Amelia. Revealed for every nation to be ready for this day. The Malbim says something remarkable over here. So if you listen carefully to these psukim, there were two letters. One that was sent to all the governors with the explicit command of to kill, murder, massacre. But that was kept to be opened on the day. The second command, the copy, is indas the one that's revealed for all nations is everybody should be ready for this day. It didn't say what to be ready for. The governors have a sealed letter. The big public notices on every town say what's going on. Now, of course, everybody understands if Homan has just been promoted and the, you know, you've know you just put uh, Himmler in charge of the whole thing over here and you've got now notice saying everyone should be ready and governors are getting instructions. Everybody knows what it's about. But the fact that it's not explicit and it's written in this way to give a Achashverosh deniability is later on going to become critical in the reinterpretation. So Homan's very... All of this is being set up for what will eventually turn around. But quickly, the law was already given in Shushan. And of course, the king and Haman sit to drink, and the city of Shushan is confused. And of course, Hamelech, the king himself. It's elevated this power from the Garden of Eden into the world of the Shushan, the world of the Rose. There's all these little hints going on. But what's happening over here now is something where you have an irrevocable decree, where nobody can stop it, even the king himself. The ring has been given, the seal's been done, and there is no solution to this problem. And that is the amazing situation that in the short run, evil can do the most horrific things. How it gets turned around is the story of the rest of history. And that is basically what's going on. So we seeing that. And in, the, the biggest deep insight really emerging with this peric is the very nature of Amalek from Gan Eden, through the battle with Moshe Rabbeinu, through Yosef being able to resist all the temptations because that's what it was. The temptations were basically Yosef, look, who are you? You've been kicked out of your home. You're nowhere. You're a little, you know, give it up, give up. And, and Yosef, but Hashem, but Hashem, but Hashem. Right? God doesn't want me to mess up here. God believes in me. The very hands that became Moshe's hands. These are the hands that fight Amalek. And the very thing that caused Amalek to doubt our ability to, to is exactly what gave to the hand, the ring given to the hand of Haman, the to throw, sent his hand out. Again, it's all where the hand is. Is the hand upwards, in which case our actions are godly, or are the hands given up, in which case that's it. That's the hands of Amalek. And that is basically where, where we finish this book. If there's any last questions, we have another two and a half minutes. So, we can still take some questions if there are any. If not, fine, we're in a good place to finish this. Uh, yeah, sorry. Thank you very much. I just to ask you, yeah. It, it's <laughs> yeah, yeah, I believe so. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you very much. A big pleasure, a big pleasure. Thank you so much. A pleasure, a pleasure. Have a very good week, everyone.